Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. It's uh, it is election day in 2018, the midterms. Uh, this is Michael Vandervoort, and I'm here with uh, my co-host, who uh, is going to help with the conversation today, Robin Schooling. Good afternoon, Robin. How are you doing today? Hi, Mike. I am good, and um, no, I have not voted yet. I'm going after the show. Awesome. I voted early on Friday and took me two hours standing in line in Atlanta, so it was in, in a bit of the rain, So I, I, but I got it done and out of the way. Our guest today is, uh, uh, it's, I think it'll be an interesting election day topic. Our guest today is Steve Paskoff. Steve is the owner and CEO of ELI Inc., and I hope I pronounced that correctly, Steve. Welcome to Drive Through HR, and thanks for joining us today. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell them where you where you're from and what your firm does. Michael and Robin, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm based, as you are, Michael, in Atlanta. I'm originally from Pennsylvania, and I am a non-practicing lawyer uh, now. I was originally an investigator and a trial attorney with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Uh, prosecuted and investigated civil rights claims, and in 1976 joined a private law firm in Atlanta where I practiced for 10 years last four as a partner. I developed an interest in training people how to avoid lawsuits and having a background as a uh, in debate, in uh, moot court, in theater, in drama, and last but certainly not least as a tour guide in a brewery, I realized there were better <laughs> ways to train people how to behave using uh, interactive training skills and focusing on behaviors and simulations rather than uh, boring them to death with the law. And so I started a business. Uh, first client was a teaching affiliate at Harvard Medical School. We've done work for healthcare institutions and now general businesses. And over the last 32 years, the business has grown from me to about 25 other professionals, including a number of other instructors. And we've trained over 2 million people throughout the United States on some of the major cases like the Coca-Cola class action, Denny's many years ago, to change their organization's uh, uh, daily cultures to align more closely with their values, to lead, uh, build productive workplaces, and also minimize risk. Thanks. Um, so we, 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 we run a highly unscripted show here, Steve. So this is really intended to be sort of like a conversation. And, and, and obviously, as I, as I said in the, pre, the pre-show, um, today's election day. And the, the discourse in our country, you know, whatever your politics may be, just seems to get worse and worse and worse. And that's kind of how uh, someone, someone suggested you as a, as a potential guest because you, you had some some ideas on maybe how to avoid some of this uh, excessive discourse and lack of civility but let's talk about let's talk about election day for a minute and kind of kind of how you see the discourse you know politically and what you may have been advising employers if, if that's been something you've touched on recently be really interested to hear about that Oh, for about 30 years, we've had an approach to the workplace that we've called civil treatment that focuses on civility and includes legality. And over the last several years, we've focused more on issues that are not necessarily illegal but certainly breach civility. Everybody is talking about civility, and I want to talk a little bit about the outside world, not the workplace, then the inside world. In the outside okay. world, there are all kinds of what you might call, Michael and Robin, your listeners, civility. 
what you say in a house of worship is one standard of behavior. What you say uh, in a college class or university class is another. What you say among friends is another. Football, baseball games, you get the idea. But in the yeah. workplace, there should be a form of what we call in our language, what our work clients speak of, is civil treatment, which focuses on behaviors linked to organizational values, which are an element of citizenship that drive productive and inclusive behaviors and minimize the kinds of behaviors that can cause disputes from things that are abusive, dismissive, rude, unprofessional to drive people apart and can ultimately become illegal. So if you look at the outside world, and I'm from Pittsburgh, and I'll say no more, we know what this kind of incivility can do. But in the workplace, everyone should be united by organizational values, and the values are for everyone and their elements of citizenship. The beauty of the workplace is, is that leaders want the best results. They get it when they get the best talent, who work together best individually and in teams, when they can talk about ideas and talk about problems too. That is the kind of workplace that everyone wants to get the best results. It should bring people together, and it should cause people to think about a few things that can be disruptive in a workplace, interfering with that result, and that's how you focus most effectively controlling behaviors that are arising in the heat and, quite frankly, fury of our political discourse right now. Hmm. Does that yeah, make sense? You I, mean, know, I, be more specific? I think I saw it, um, you know, Gosh, you know, this is hard to believe. Two years ago, um, when we went through the last election cycle, um, and, uh, I, you know, I think like a lot of other HR practitioners and a lot of other managers um, out in the world, um, you know, I, I dealt with some issues where employees, um, very passionate of whatever side they were on, on the political spectrum, um brought those conversations into the workplace um, and crossed some lines. Um, and, and, you know, and we ended up dealing with uh, one-off situations. It was not like a, a global sort of issue, but, um, you know, coworkers that, um, that got a little too heated in, in how they started to treat each other um, based on, election results or, or what was happening out in the world. Um, it's a, it was a challenge. Well, it, the issue is not so much the fact they're discussing politics, I suspect, but it's what they're saying in that discussion. Are they insulting someone else's views? Are they demeaning them? Are they raising issues of race, ethnicity, or gender? and the like in support of what their client is saying or not. Those are, those are divisive issues anyway. The political right. world just adds a special degree of intensity. But the key is if you can get people to say, look, uh, those certain things, when you raise them, if you're not, it, not in a conversation, but more as if it's a one-way diatribe or that sort of thing, what good does that do for our working relationship? Uh, and I can suggest some ground rules that we've been suggesting to clients. And let me be very careful here. Your clients or your listeners have got to be careful, too. If they're in city or governor, federal governments, county governments, and the like, they have to be careful about limiting uh, what's said, both in terms of what the U.S. Constitution says and the National Labor Relations Act. I'm talking mm -hmm. about 
the manner in which things are expressed, screaming, yelling, insulting. The idea is to say, be very careful about that because that doesn't help us and it creates wounds that won't readily heal. That's the argument that you make. And you can't just make it on election day. It's got to be something that is carried forward because whatever happens tonight, there are going to be wounds. There are going to be uh, people who feel really great. And how we deal with this can affect teamwork, collaboration, speaking up, and the like. Right. So, so what, what, what were those the ground rules? Um, Steve, no, or, I, I, there, 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 well, the thing, just a few things. Uh, if, if, I'll give you a couple of the principles that we've been talking to clients about. But the problem is you've got to get people to really understand these rules really make sense. And sometimes you can't tell people this makes sense until they experience it or think about it critically. Here, let me give you a couple if I can. And they're pretty obvious. The problem is people don't follow them. Number one mm-hmm. would be if you're not, if you're not willing uh, to listen to others, then why bother having the conversation? Because they're not going to be willing and interested in listening to you. So mm-hmm. my, if you and I disagree on something, but the only thing I care about is that you hear what I say, that is not going to influence you. It's going to tick you off, right? So unless you're willing to really listen critically, and by critically I don't mean negatively, you're willing to absorb what someone else says. And I have another principle that I'll suggest too. What's the good of having that conversation to begin with? And we want people to think about that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Another one would be a simple one. And again, these are simple rules. If you're not sure whether you should say something, text it, or write it, then don't. Because if people would stop and think about what they're saying most of the time, it's like, well, I'm not sure I should say that if they really understand the organization's values. And they shouldn't say it. Because once the remarks are out of the gate, they stick and they can be passed on. And that's how you get divisiveness. Those are pretty basic, aren't they? Yeah. They, they well, are. And, 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 Go ahead, Robert. You know, I think one of the one of the interesting um, phenomenons that we've seen lately, um, and it's just because I think we're these things have always gone on, but now, of course, we're we're much more tuned in. Um, but that the number of stories that we see it seems every day there's a story out there of you know an individual um uh, attacking or filming or um you know sort of indulging in this um non-civil behavior with with other citizens and um things get posted if you know got you know uh, the 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 barbecue lady and the uh <clears throat> you know, lady not letting uh, the guy into his uh, into his condo building, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And those those tend to go out there um, online, go viral very quickly, and that individual, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of one where I haven't seen this happen. People are losing their jobs because of their behavior out uh, expressing whatever feelings they have, um, out, out in this world we live in. I think it's probably the way they're expressing it, the content of what they're saying. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and there are standards that clients have right now 
whether it's a pol- organizations have right now, whether it's a political issue or not. And it's those standards that should be set. For example, we've said for years, and we but, but, but you can't just say it. Uh, this goes to the issue of how do you communicate it. People have to really see and experience and agree the impact. A simple rule that evol- avoids all of this is we said we say guard your words and actions, jokes, comments, banter, uh, insults about the range of things you talked about, Robin, which are either race yeah. or sex, ethnicity, religion, etc. Those don't belong as subjects of insult, derision, argument confrontation of, of a certain sort in the workplace. And if you're not sure, then don't. And it's just now the political climate is adding another extra element of explosiveness. It's in yeah. front of us all the time, but it's the basic the same rule that applies. One thing I'll ask people is uh, if you work with a group of people on a team or if you speak with leaders, you're covering the whole workplace. You all want to have the best results, right? Do you, have, do you get your best results when one of your coworkers or somebody that you is your leader insults you, demeans you? And I'm not talking about criticizing your performance, but insults you, demeans you, ostracizes, makes fun of you, humiliates you because of who you are, what you do, whatever. Who raises their hand? We have to see anyone raise their hand. And the question is, well, why would you think anyone else would do their best work when that's what all of you are here to, supposedly to see happen to begin with? But people have to think about it and say, oh, I see. And it requires an understanding and a degree of empathy. I wouldn't want that said about me. It would bother me. I can see why that would bother somebody else. But the foundation has got to come back to the organization's values, which typically include things like civility or respect or professionalism. The words can vary, but the sentiment is generally the same. Yeah. Um, Steve, you you touched on this earlier. you know the 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 protected concerted activity and the sort of the the not the NLRB that's seated today, but the I guess what most people in my profession anyway refer to as the Obama NLRB took great great strides towards um, to I think creating incivility in the workplace in their in their effort to protect this you know the the concerted speech and activities mm-hmm. and our actions of employees. Mm-hmm. And that you know, and that's that's an that's an old, but it's developing in a lot of new ways. Like we just we have this Me Too movement that's been around for a year. You know, it seems like every day there's a story that breaks. Last week, employees at Google, you know, conducted basically right. rolling walkouts all around the world. Uh, you know, it's I mean, yeah. it, it's it's hugely challenging, I think, to organizations, and yet it's. In some ways, it's an you know it's a it's an age-old problem, and then I so that, you know I'd I'd like you to comment maybe on that and how you work with clients. But the other side of it is the lens of you know in a time when seemingly our president you know thrives on creating discourse and you know in you know not incivility in the in the nation, but the example he sets you know kind of drives I think behavior for people in the in the private sector as well. And how do, I guess, so the, the first question is how, you know, how does an employer deal with civility versus, you know, PCA and making sure that people have the, the ability to speak out and be heard on these serious issues. And then how do you deal with it from the higher level of, you know, like just in society, you know, what do you, what, what does a, what kind of examples do a, does an employer need to set for their culture? I guess maybe it goes back to those, you know, guidelines. Yeah, but I, 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 it's hard for me I have personal views about the culture and society. Let me talk about the workplace. 
when you have a workplace, I, I think of it as a community of people who choose to be there, which that's what's basically uh, occurring unless you have been, uh, you're, you've agreed to fulfill a term of military service and then you're in for your term. But you chose to be at an organization. And when you chose, the implicit, what I'll call deal is, is that the employer says it has values and you agree to follow them. Now, the values have got to be expressed illegally, and I agree with you about that. And I understand what you're saying about the issue raised by the uh, intensity of the NLRA under what you call the Obama uh, principles. But by and large, people agree to these values, and they need to be enforced. Now, you raised in general the issue, well, what about when things on the outside happen and people see whatever leader, name anyone you want, who says something that otherwise would be seen as outrageous, and they say, look, a lot of great people fill in the blank, behave a certain way. Why can't I work? That's the issue you're raising, right? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. What the way to do that is to ask them a question, and this goes to one of the barriers to civility, which is conceptual resistance. People understand certain rules. They just say, I don't see why they apply to me or choose not to follow them. So one of the things you can ask someone is, well, let's talk about this, Mike. I understand what you say, but what's that have to do with how we run our organization and what's important here? You're working here, and in our work, this is the way you work. You can work in another place and you wear a different set of clothes. You work in a different place, you have different responsibilities. Here, this is where you work. Here, this is how we behave. And this is the standard that's important for us to get the best work done. So it's almost irrelevant what's going on in the outside world if you look at it that way. Mm-hmm. So you, you take, the, cu- you take say, the culture and the norms and kind of block those out and hold people accountable to that expectation is, is kind of a simplified yes. way, I think, of stating what you just said. Yes. Yeah. And it is simple. But it, the problem is, and I'll talk to you, if I may, in a moment about how you can build that type of culture. But another one you might hear is somebody might come up to you and say, uh, Steve, I am really tired of all this politically correct stuff. What do you say to them? Well, I'd say to them, are you saying you can't believe, behave in line with our values? And that's related to another aspect of a conversation like this, which means you can't say anything more, Michael. You can't say anything more. And the question I would ask someone if they asked me is, well, what is it that you don't think you can say? What, tell me what you don't think you can say anymore. Is it that you can't tell racial or sexual jokes? Well, yeah, that's right. But that's not politically correct. These are our rules that we have in place because this is who we are. And, yes, we're guarding against legal risk, too. That's how I believe it needs to be simply and tautly communicated. Now, may I suggest what it takes to build civility through an organizational structure? It's, and we've worked with, with clients and seen great leaders who do this. One would be uh, communication. What does a leader say? And I've seen great leaders, one who used to run a division of Coca-Cola many years ago. His name was Don Knauss. He was a minute maid. And he said, if you want to work as part of my team, you have to behave a certain way. And you have to be careful about what you say. And this is what makes us be a great team. And you all have to sign on. That type of leadership commitment to values and direct communication is critical. People at work need to talk about that. In our small company, we talk about civility once a week, at least in our leadership meetings. It's a standing agenda item. You've got to have policies. You've got to have training. And the training 
that is not designed just to give information that people can read, but it's to get them to see the impact of their behavior and to understand how to prevent, detect, and correct situations. And there have to be consequences when you do things the right way or the wrong way, and you've got to follow up on it. So some companies will sometimes say, well, how do we deal with the selection issue? Okay, tomorrow's November 7th, it's done. There's no continuity. That changes nothing. Uh, I'd say to companies, a company, a client that I work with, uh, well, you've got a sales goal. I hope you have a wonderful 2018. Are you going to start 2019 and say, okay, no, value, no sales goals this year because we had such a great year? No, you'd continue, and right. this has got to be the same thing. So, so reframing it. I, Robin, I think you had a question about uh, the types of training. I, I was interested yeah, in hearing and, and, that. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's interesting, um, you know, Steve, because your organization focuses on um, really that that behavioral training, you know, um, uh, which I think gets at the at the crux of the issue because you're not going to change behavior unless you don't instruct around how those behaviors um, impact the culture. You know, how, to, how does what I do infuse those values day to day? So, you know, that's a whole lot different sometimes than um, the standard check off the box, let's do some training around, um, you know, compliance, if you will. Um, when you do this behavioral training, when you do these simulations, when you go into organizations or teams and work with them, what you know? How how do you approach that? How do you train behaviorally? The way to do, the way to do it is to have a two way dialogue, which is not simply answering questions. Uh, the EEOC had hearings last week talked about interactive learning, and interactive learning is where you present situations get people to think about it and then show them the consequences of doing the right thing or not and asking them what they thought about it and how did they, how did they see things. The reason why it works is, is that all of the laws, certainly in the space of civil rights laws and the like, the ones that create the greatest harm, you mentioned me too, and we can think of all the things with uh, the, the celebrities we've read, those are concrete behaviors. And the issue with that is the folks Clearly, I'm going to assume Matt Lauer, for example, knew that the behaviors he was engaging in violated NBC standards and state and federal law, but for one yeah. reason or another, he chose to ignore that. So telling him the law alone doesn't educate him about anything he didn't know about. You've right. got to, right. if you could go back in time, show him what could happen to <clears throat> him. And that could be taking those facts and say, Mr. Lauer, when you said this, did you know you were bound by the law? Some of these are legal simulations, yes. So you did know that these were potential problems, correct? And you then chose not to follow the law and NBC's policies, correct? Yes. No further questions. When the behavior is that clear, it's almost impossible to refute. That's just a legal simulation, but the whole idea, I didn't have to say all the laws and the statutes. I know what they are, but the focus is behavior, and that's what you need to drive forward. It was, it was really you, strange. Uh, this do is you, a, I'm do sorry. You see, uh, uh, oh, uh, yeah. Steve, I'm curious if you see, you know, with it, it, the years that you've been working in this arena, do you see um, what's the change, that, if any, that you see with, with the uh, recipients, for want of a better word, of the training? Uh, uh, is there any sort of 
shift, um, you know, generationally or over the years um, where companies and or managers and or uh, employees that are in these training groups, are they more receptive to these conversations now than 20, 25 years ago? I'm I'm thinking, Robin. I, I think the answer is yes. The good news is people are now more familiar with the laws because in the last 25 years, they've seen big stories that have hit the news. Uh, 25 years ago, we're talking about the Hill-Thomas hearings that everybody around then would remember. So there's more receptivity. The problem is sometimes people don't have a clear sense of how that connects to them and their jobs. They might say, well, that was a Supreme Court justice. I'm just here in a plant wherever I am. Uh, you said Baton Rouge, I think. I'm just in Baton Rouge. Yep. What's that have yep. to do, do with me? You have to show them what this does and what this has to do with me. The other thing that we've learned, and I want to go back to something you said about check-the-box training. When you deliver check-the-box training, what people do is they complete the course. That's mm-hmm. what they often do. And they, they have checked that box but that doesn't mean that they have learned anything. And if the learning is not then reinforced back on the job, when you don't have leaders saying this is important or do you have any issues, let's talk about it, it can be readily and quickly forgotten. One thing I've seen this does is that employers now are recognizing we have to reinforce our messages, we have to keep them alive, we have to convert in our language from a one-time event to an ongoing experience. Mm-hmm. How, how do employers today, Steve, because, I mean, the, the, you know, internally, externally, communication just seems um, exponentially more complicated. Social media, different different means of, you know, almost real-time kind of divulge, you know, divulgence of things that have happened inside your company. How, how, do you, how does an employer uh, kind of build a strategy that responds to that, you know, in, in the focus of the ones that you, that you're talking about here, civility, that sort of thing. Can I tell you the most powerful example that I've used and talked about, which is pre email, pre voicemail was early on in my career, (laughs) but it's a really good example because it's a communication method that most of us can readily use. Uh, I had a a case uh, actually in North Carolina, and there was a, a plant out in the middle of the state, let's just say that. And there was a person who was uh, charged with doing certain behavior. Uh, he didn't think he'd done anything wrong. And his immediate supervisor at this time was a division president, said, come into my office. And I happened to be there as, as the lawyer. And he said, so and so, this is what I understand what you did. Yes. So can you come here very closely? Yes. He said, I want this to be clear. This is not acceptable if you want to work here. Do you understand that? We're not going to tolerate this if you want to be here. Do you understand that? Yes. Do you have any questions about this? Yes. So this won't continue. Is that correct? Yes. Thank you. Now, it was one-on-one communication. Now, all communication can't be one-on-one. But it's so powerful if a leader, which can be a first-level supervisor, can say, look, we're running this team together. We've got to work together, and you've all got to behave a certain way, and if you don't know what to do, come talk to me because I want us to be a great team and we got to work like a team and behave like a team. Any questions? That's the sort of thing that needs to be going on. It doesn't take much. And I'll ask people, how much would you have to add to your budget? 
and I can ask the most frugal, astute CFO of any large organization, <laughs> how much would it cost you for people to speak like that once a week during regularly scheduled meetings? Nothing. So well, what other things do you do that has such a benefit that costs you nothing at all but has only a positive return? Can't think of one. So, Michael, I think, yes, there's tons of ways that we can foul up communications, direct communication, clear, explicit, positive, not only negative, is to me what we need to see more of. Yeah. Totally agree. The one other thing I can think of that managers could do is say thank you. You have an unlimited thank you budget as well as an unlimited Absolutely. open speech budget. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We have a Absolutely. We have a little less than a minute and a half left. Um, Robin, I don't know if you had any more any more questions for Steve. I wanted to make sure he had a chance to tell us where to tell our listeners where to find him, and then let you tell yep, them who next week's uh, guest is. Steve, tell people where they can find you online or however you prefer. Well, our website is www.eliinc.com. And we did a, a, our own uh, webcast about this last week. We have materials that your uh, uh, listeners might find of interest, and we welcome their uh, signing on. Great. Thanks, Robin. Wonderful. What a great resource, and what a, what a, what a great conversation to have at any time. I mean, timing-wise, yes, it's Election Day, but this is, this is an important conversation. So I hope, I hope folks uh, – follow up with you and, and check out your materials because I think it's uh, it's been a great 30 minutes. Um, my pleasure. But, and I enjoyed um, so it thank too. you, Steve. Thank you. And, um, you know, my co-host, Mike, thank you. And uh, as we Thanks. get ready to sign off this week, uh, join us next week, next Tuesday for drive Through HR Live. And uh, our guest will be Katie Van Horn, and we'll be talking diversity, inclusion, and belonging. So goodbye, everybody. We have... Bye. Steve, thanks so much. Have a great day. Pleasure. You too. Bye now.